0: Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin.
1: Holding in a burp, Caleb Shively. I swallowed it. Uh, Other host.
0: Can I just say that's so polite of you. Thank you so much for holding the burp in. I really appreciate it. I have a
1: bubble now in my uh, stomach
0: that's great uh so every week on actually best choice movies we talk to you about two movies one of them is old one of them is new they're related in some way like complex intergenerational trauma would you say caleb uh
1: throughout the years and years of family abuse and love yes they are related the two movies we cover
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, so this week we're talking about two uh, Southern Gothic films. It's this year's brand new uh, "The Devil All the Time." It's a Netflix original, you know, more or less. And then the 1977, 79, 79, 1979 film. Uh, it's a version of Flannery O'Connor's "Wise Blood." That's all this week. On actually, best choice. Muvaise. Muvaise. Uh but before we get to any of that, uh, like I said, both of these movies are Southern Gothic, uh, which is, you know, a, a very particular kind of weird genre. Um, and that's something they share. And obviously that's, you know, there are lots of these kinds of films. Uh, isn't that right, Caleb?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also include preachers, which is, you know, it's, it, Southern Gothic is a pretty big ter- term. Like, it blankets a lot of films. Uh, it's like weird, disturbing characters, uh, like a weird, derelict settings. I don't know. Deliverance is probably the biggest example, but in, uh, like, looking what actually qualifies for Southern Gothic, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the early films of David, David Gordon Green, uh, Jeff Nichols. I think Gummo kind of qualifies, too
0: kind of yeah uh
1: streetcar named desire was listed in a list i saw but uh, my two favorite things that technically qualify were uh cape fear which sure uh,
0: oh sure definitely 100%. yeah and
1: uh, all dogs go to heaven
0: qualify <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> which they are I do have some weird disturbing characters that fat alligator
0: you look like a taste in new orleans canine gumbo <laughs> I mean, just the fact that the dogs die. I oh, mean, yeah. That's pretty fucked up. It's a children's film about dead animals.
1: In the sequel to All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, they imply that all cats go to hell. I've never forgotten that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are about, like, seven sequels to that movie and a TV series. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those. It's one of those things I can get on my antenna only channels, like the channels you can only see if you have a TV antenna. Is like there's a Christian channel that is always playing the All Dogs Go to Heaven cartoon <laughs> series. It's just like I will sit and watch for a little while. It's not terrible, you know. It's really not.
1: No, it's Southern Gothic. It's a great tradition, uh, and I guess all these movies have to deal with uh, God and how we uh, reject or accept Him, which is a, a very good quick intro to get into these two movies that we're about well, to discuss.
0: yeah, I was going to say, do you have anything else to say about what are the hallmarks of Southern Gothic? So it's a dealing with religion. Obviously it's set in the yeah, South. Yeah. 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 Like a grim like
1: situation, what... like a uh, relating to, uh, or stemming from situations of poverty or crime or violence, which is, you know, most movies, but I don't know. It's also extended to, it's like nor, but, southern
0: <laughs> yeah it is no i totally agree with that and i was thinking that especially about the devil all the time that it's like a noir but it's this kind of weird other thing um i mean i actually used to watch this tv show i don't know if you're old enough to have watched this caleb but like uh it was a cbs show called american gothic did you ever watch this no. show it was basically like a southern gothic tv show that like the lead character who was like a 10 year old boy had a southern accent but kind of like nobody else in town was southern uh, which was kind of weird. Oh, and this is actually one of the first place I ever saw Gary Cole. Like, he is the oh, star of wow. the show. He's a great good he's the local. He's the local sheriff who's also the bad guy of the show and is also, like, maybe the devil, but maybe oh, not. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I'm sure it's ridiculous if you were to watch it now. I mean, I watched it when I was 13, 12 years old, so I thought it was, like, the most amazing <laughs> thing I'd ever seen, which at the time it was, <laughs> but, you know, well, I is, don't know that it would hold up uh, this Yeah, point.
1: Gary Cole, uh... Sarah, early Sarah, Sarah Paulson's in it too.
0: Oh, I didn't even know. Um, I don't even yeah, remember that. I'm just that. looking
1: at the Wikipedia page of it right now. Oh, Sam Raimi. Yeah. Sam Raimi was the executive producer
0: it's a pretty good show, yeah. dude. I was really into it. Damn. Honestly, ninety
1: five. Was, this is it's, it's nineteen ninety five on CBS, which is also around the time Gary Cole was Mike Brady, which I like those movies a
0: lot. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's shortly before he was the boss in Office Space. Sure, that like was very yeah. yeah. It was very weird. It's it's one of those experiences I have, like with J.K. Simmons, having watched all of Oz before sure. J.K. Simmons even became famous. That he was like so menacing and scary to me that it was very hard to accept him in other parts. You know for a long time. Oh,
1: sure, sure. I think a couple of the actors in Wise Blood uh, kind of hit that I don't know, that's not true. I think they're good actors, and especially specifically speaking of uh, Harry Dean Stanton, who's great. Yeah, Harry Dean there. Stanton, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's
0: great in everything. And it was was like from my perspective an early Harry Dean Stanton role, right? I mean, uh, I, I know I he don't... was in stuff in the 60s yeah. and 70s, but you I mostly think of him for movies from the 80s and 90s. I I, I, guess that's I feel true, yeah. like Yeah. But he looks exactly the same in this movie. He looks exactly the same.
1: Well, I can't wait to talk about him. Yeah, you want to move on? Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about
0: it. So we're going to start with 2020's uh, The Devil All the Time. Excuse me, preacher.
1: You got time for a sinner? You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. I believe that is untrue. Lead
0: us to sin. Delusions! The Devil All the Time is the new film from director Antonio Campos. Uh, Since his debut, 2005's Buy It Now, which is about a girl who sells her virginity on the internet, his films are mostly remarkable for their willingness to be shocking and brutal. And, like, outside of that, (laughs) personally, I wouldn't say they're particularly, like, interesting to look at, well-acted, imaginative You know, and whether you're talking about Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, or Christine, or the episode of The Punisher that he directed, I think that pretty much holds true. Like, it's it's this way, they're, obviously, they look, good in a certain way, and I'm not saying they're badly acted. Some of the acting in this movie is actually pretty good, but you don't get the feeling that's the priority of the movie. The priority of the movie is like showing you some fucked up shit, and like everything else is kind of just happens around that. And this is also the case in The Devil All the Time, which is an adaptation of Donald Ray Pollock's pulpy 2011 bestseller. It's a, like I was saying earlier, a multi-generational story of Appalachian trauma, but this movie it stars like every in-demand young person in Hollywood, when the list is t- Tom Holland, Sebastian Stan, Robert Pattinson, Mia Wasikowska, Riley Keough. So that's like Spider-Man, Batman, Captain America's best friend, and Alice from Wonderland. And then Riley Keough doesn't really have a part like that, but um, which is wild, you know. And because because it all seems like they were interested in you know rubbing some dirt on their faces, doing a weird accent, and screaming about Jesus, and then either getting brutally murdered or brutally murdering someone else. Um, this is, in broad strokes, the plot. Um, I was not a huge fan of this movie. Uh, Caleb, what, what did you think about it? Uh,
1: I, I enjoy Antonio Campos' film. Uh, I, I did like this movie. I thought there was maybe... Uh, I just didn't... La- ending as much didn't land for me. I thought it could have been a cosmic joke, but maybe interpreted differently. Uh, and to correct you, he didn't direct Martha Mar- Marcy May. He was a producer's production company. Uh, oh i'm sorry that That is my bad uh,
0: that is my my failure at reading imdb (laughs) i apologize uh
1: but yeah his uh, borderline films which also did did, did, there's a lot of good movies i like uh to speak to him as a director he does yeah he's very violent i think he puts the shock of it on there and uh i don't know i I have a, as listeners know i have a big appetite for violence i think (laughs) uh like
0: I like to- as listeners know, yeah. I'm a fucking monster. <laughs> uh,
1: but I, I also wouldn't say that that doesn't mean it. Uh, I think violence is good for a story. Like sometimes I just want to watch violence, which is why I've seen every Saw movie. But I don't <laughs> care about the Saw movies in general. But I think he offer, offers uh, some plot to it. Uh, I think uh, Christine, I think, is his best movie, uh, which I would lump that with uh, Simon Killer and uh, After School as more of like... Films that focused on the destructive nature on mass media, whereas this film from him uh, is based off of a book, and it's more about like everyday life and in a certain time frame, and how Christianity controls everything from like social interactions to how we plan our day, uh, and there is like way too big of. Uh, an adaptation and I, and I say that in a, in as means as there's like three different timelines going and uh, yeah right. you could have cut out one of them and have been like a, a decently sized movie but it's like a two almost two and a half hour movie uh but you know a high graphic body count for sure uh, yeah. but the bodies i think are piled up uh be- upon a believely depicted small town like the small town stuff's great and the and the performances like carried to be through like uh you touched about all these Young in-demand actors are. I was very much into a lot of the performances. Uh, I mean I
0: thought Tom Holland did a really yeah, good he's job a, I thought he was good in this
1: movie. Yeah, I I am fine with the Spider-Man movies. I don't I think they're better than most of the other Marvel movies, uh, but also I don't care. Uh, <laughs> uh But this is like my favorite thing I've seen him in. Uh he has to carry a lot. Uh and also uh uh actor of the current time, last couple of years, Robert Pattinson is Big and showy swinging a dick around here, I loved it,
0: dude. See, I think that Robert Pattinson is like—I don't like him in this movie. I think that it's—it's—it's it's, it's a structural failure of the film of what's what's going on with him. He's doing the world's craziest batshit accent that doesn't have any regional basis for it at all. It's just yeah. like this British guy's idea. I read of a that southern he hit it
1: from the director and rest of the cast too. Like, waiting <laughs> yeah. for like action to to, de- to debut it. <laughs>
0: It's fucking completely insane. Delusions! And every line that he has, you can just hear him like wringing the juice out of every single word. You know, if he had to give you like, if he had to say like, here's your water, it would take him a full 30 minutes.
1: I feel like you know? that was like, also the character itself. Like his character, uh, Preston Teagarden, is a uh, preacher who just comes to town. Uh, you could tell he's gotten kicked out of so many other churches. And basically, just and one little slice of the movie, he's a preacher who... Uh, preys on young women uh, and seduces people through saying it's God's will. And that's just like a horrible thing. And it's also just one of the many horrible things uh, that are in this movie. Like, uh, let's see, there's a wartime crucifixion. Uh, Yeah, Which
0: I don't even, is that a real thing that used to happen? That seemed completely off the wall to me because it was supposed to be in the Pacific theater in World War II. The Japanese had crucified someone. And I was like, crucifixion is not even a thing in their culture. Like why would it even occur to them to crucify someone? Uh, it seemed crazy. I think it to works
1: me. as a, uh, one of the first things we see in the movie and it's really sets the, uh, first initial character. we meet, played the Bill Sarsgaard character, uh, sets him off as like, Oh, that's, that's his PTSD where it comes from. And also like he went on to do uh, his own crucifixion. I think he crucified a dog in this movie. Crucifies a dog. Yes. <laughs> also, he, he becomes crazy religious, old Testament, pounding violence for violence. I, right. He re- does
0: a fucking animal sacrifice to try yeah. to, to cure his wife of cancer, which like you're saying like, he has, uh, he's on this journey where he becomes super, super religious, but it's like, it kind of happens pretty abruptly. Like he seems like someone who isn't particularly religious. And then he is doing animal sacrifices. Like,
1: uh, yeah. I and mean, also like, I'm glad it was cause you have a lot to get to in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not the star, like, but he's a good, 45 minutes of him in this movie as they like yeah. show around. Like, it's just uh, there's a lot going on in this movie. And I do like, like, there's so much fucking violence all around, which is, you know, goes to the title, The Devil, all the time. And I think that uh, is true for this movie that bad things are there every step I mean- of the way.
0: This movie, it's like, I, I do want to say one other thing about Robert Pattinson in the movie, which is just like, you must, you have to imagine that he was essential, essentially undirectable in this movie. You have to think nobody questioned any of the choices that he made, because they're all completely nuts, <laughs> and they, they, they just seem like, you know, it's like having Marlon Brando in your movie, like, Robert Pattinson's really famous, he's a very respected actor, and if he wants to do some crazy bullshit, like... He just gets to do it like that was that was my read on what's happening with him in this movie.
1: Uh, he's an overconfident preacher uh, and he's bringing like a dangerous sense of superiority about himself, too. And I think that mirrors a previous preacher in the movie, too, which that young actor's name is a uh, Henry Melling. It's the preacher who poured spiders on himself is right. how you remember him. <laughs>
0: right. um, yeah, but, uh, so just to take, take like a slight step back So I said it's intergenerational Basically the first half of the movie is about One set of characters in this town in the south In the like 40s and 50s And then we sort of fast forward to their children Who are living in the same town And dealing with the same traumas And, you know, trying to solve the legacies That their parents have, have left to them yeah, to, So that's kind of Yeah, to
1: trace it to you It's uh, Bill Skarsgård uh, is... Uh, has a kid with his wife who dies of cancer uh, and then go, go, kills a dog and uh, kills himself and leaves his yeah, son exactly. orf- orphaned. His name is Arvin, which is Tom Holland. We get to see him a couple nine years later as the flash forward. Also, during the same time, we get to meet uh, Willard, the Bill Skarsgård character. Uh, we're first introduced to uh, Sandy and Carl, which is uh, Jason Clark and Riley Keough. Uh, And, like, they just hint at it at first. We're like, oh, they're just little weirdo guys. And it turns out they're serial killers. Uh, Yeah. Who lure young men with sex and then photograph them while they are dying or they're just straight up dead. Uh, Yeah.
0: They show a lot of that, too, guys. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Someone does someone get their dick shot off in this movie? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: One of the people they kill is uh, the the preacher, Preacher Spider's name is Roy Lafferty. Uh, and he, uh, after, you know, you pour spiders on your head, you're going to impress some constituents at a church. <laughs> he marries uh, Mia Wasikowski's character, who uh, is friends with uh, Willard's mom, the Bill Skarsgård. And anyway, uh, Roy ends up stabbing his wife in the neck. Uh, yeah, man, they show all this stuff.
0: To prove yeah. to God that he's faithful. Yeah, to I mean, bring her back to life.
1: Thing. Yeah. He this stabs her to, kill, to, to say God exists. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Like so, this is the kind of movie, and, and we're talking about Southern Gothic, and, and and I agree that these are these are both Southern Gothic movies in a, in a certain way. Um, but this movie, it's it's almost like it's a horror movie. I mean, it, it, being uncharitable, and I as I, said, as I said, I did not enjoy this movie. It's it's like a sub Ryan Murphy kind of thing. Oh, that's like horrible! Every single sub Ryan that walks Murphy. On, Ryan Murphy is like sub-, sub Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy's like TV
1: dumb shit. I don't know. It's like, well, here's what I think.
0: If I can explain myself. So it's like every character that walks on the screen, you know, something awful is going to happen to them or they were going to do something awful. Literally every single character this is true of in the movie. Okay. What I think Ryan Murphy is good at is giving you a really kind of like making it very tense up to the moment where something awful happens and then making the awful thing like really emotionally wrenching. Whereas I think this movie is like everything just happens I didn't feel particularly emotionally invested in any of these characters I just kept seeing awful things happen to them and like yeah there's a crucifixion in the first five minutes and then there's like a bunch of awful stuff and it's just awful awful on top of awful awful at a certain point I mean maybe an hour 90 minutes into the movie you're just like anytime a new person walks on screen you're like oh okay this guy's gonna get flayed alive or something like what you know and it wasn't impactful, I didn't think, which is why I don't think it's a very successful film, is that I didn't, it didn't make an impact on me, it just happened. Uh, and, and and this is what I was saying, it's like, it's just an excuse to show you a bunch of crazy shit. It's like a horror movie, it's like a Saw movie, except it like, it's pretending that it's some kind of like, commentary on religious culture, and it's like, it's not I mean, it is,
1: as it is an adaptation of a novel, and I feel like that... Uh, And again, I'm disagreeing with everything you just said. Uh, Sure, fine. fine. uh, As much as it is deprived, I think it uh, has this curious nature about about itself too. Uh, Like there's the darkness and the evil uh, of a a lot of the characters exist.
0: uh, Every single uh, character is is
1: evil. Excuse me. uh, As the darkness and the evil of a lot of the characters exist to show their flaws, like it's their weaknesses and their traumas too. Like uh, it's not just violence for the sake of violence. Like they do hint at like the deeper meanings for, uh, all the violence, uh, which they do swirl it up and then to get to it quick. And so it's maybe touched, not as touched upon as there's, uh, as we mentioned so many characters, we even mentioned the sheriff roaming around, uh, who really should have been cut from the movie. Uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's I, Sebastian Stan. Like that, that's who oh you're yeah, Sebastian about. Stan. Yeah. uh, Bucky, the winter soldier. Yeah. yeah. But
1: I, 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 I like said, I liked other Campos movies more. Uh, I do think it's like a big swing for him in the sense that, uh, it's not a modern set movie like his other ones have been. And, uh, meaning it's a period piece. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of the heavy lifting for him and probably the reasons I think a lot of people liked it is, uh, that it was shot very well. Uh, shot on film 35 millimeter uh
0: i mean it does look good i i won't i won't say the movie doesn't look good it does yeah, look
1: yeah yeah it's a great looking movie i'll like to shout out just real quick his name's lowell crowley uh uh great cinematographer he shot four lions which is a cool looking movie but oh that's cool yeah man. uh does a lot of brady corbett's films too uh if you ever know the movie Blast, which is a southern gothic movie uh that's a fucking depressing movie i don't think you'd like that one chris
0: uh, i like depressing movies i didn't find this depressing i just found No, i'm like- just
1: saying it's not this moment. i'm saying the last is if you've ever, if i don't know if you've seen it but holy shit no. that movie like I, I won't think i'll ever watch that movie again oh my god uh what i liked about it was that uh i you would guess eventually a, a, a character becomes the lead the tom holland becomes the lead as he's not on screen for time, and he, then he does appear but i don't know he's not really a hero and a lot of the characters aren't black and white in their uh motivations and like they should be because they're doing horrible stuff uh and it's just I don't know indie work from good actors like I've mentioned yeah, so right. many actors that are very good and like I think that they all are like jittery and fun uh like I think I don't know i I really like Pattinson I, I i I could see why people don't and I could see why uh it's a stick in the mud for a lot of people but for me I was like oh this guy's having fun and getting to Perform And maybe he should have been reined in more, but I like uh, seeing people go for it.
0: I agree that he seems like he's having fun, but I I wish that the director had found a way to channel that into something that made a good film instead of just was fun for Robert Pattinson. I think it
1: was a good film. Um, And Um, I think itself, whether you say it's so much misery and uh, an onslaught of violence, and it just keeps providing narrative or violence. There's no resting point. There's no... Uh, characters quietly contemplating it's all so much all the time. I think rooting itself in the violence, uh, is the point of the movie. It's misery. Uh, like I, I mentioned to like the ending of the movie. to spoil a little bit, sorry, uh, is I, think like I said, I thought it was like a kind of a cosmic joke. And again, this is my interpretation and I wish it was more clearer, uh, like Tom Holland through a series of luck, uh, not, sh- uh, through his own will, uh, just she gets lucky and survives an uh, onslaught of bad situations. As a movie, because I don't even touch on the religious aspects of it, which is uh, throughout the whole film. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was, I don't know. It worked for me.
0: I would like to talk, so this is like kind of maybe as we start thinking about the next film too, like, so they're both films that talk a lot about Jesus and stuff. And I mean, they're very different points of view. So what we, to say about this film, right? Um, it's based on this book by this guy Donald Ray Pollock. Now, according to him, he's born in this town called Knock em Stiff, Ohio, which is one of the it's one of the places in the movie. And he uh, worked in a paper mill nearby until he was fifty years old, and he didn't even start writing until after that. And so, the implication is that all of this stuff is, you know, pulled from his you know experience of like you know being out in the world with these real people. And, like, the New York Times used to have him write, like, election dispatches from, like, the real America. But I found a lot of this stuff to just, it just felt very phony to me. And and, and this is what I do want to get your read on this. Like, so I didn't grow up particularly religious, but, you know, I did, I grew up in Florida. Like, I always say I, I'm not Southern, but my grandparents are. Like, my, my, my mother, maternal and paternal grandparents were, like, extremely, extremely Southern people, you know, born in the 1920s. And, obviously, I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and with their siblings, and with my extended family. And, you know, I have some connection to this world, right? And, you know, going traveling around the South as a kid and stuff. I found its analysis and understanding of like, religious people and of the role that religion has in people's lives to be very, it just seemed very phony to me. It didn't seem like someone who actually knew what they were talking about. And but of course, you directly grew up much more religious than me. So I'm interested to hear what what you thought about that.
1: Uh, I always think that religion is a personal thing. I think the character of Willard, the uh, Bill Skarsgård character, like can latch, o- you can overlatch onto it. He demonstrates how that, uh, that can uh, be detrimental. And, you know, it also is a way to define yourself too for a, a lot of people. Uh, and that can end up being a good thing or it could be like a competitive thing that brings out like, oh, I'm more so than you. It's all uh, mental things you put yourself through uh, in religion to, to believe.
0: Well, it's interesting to hear you say that. Like, And, and I agree. Like you're saying it can be a competitive thing. It. it- it interlaces with your life in a certain way where I feel like a movie like devil all the time is obsessed with people screaming about Jesus and like crucifying dogs. And like, it's like someone who has never seen a religious person and is like, Oh, these crazy Jesus weirdos. Like imagine the kind of shit they get up to. Whereas I feel like the role religion plays in people's lives is better illustrated by the things you're talking about. And the, the movies I think of and the TV shows I think of are like, the Apostle with Robert Duvall is, like, a fantastic movie about what real religious people are like. On the other end, like, The Righteous Gemstones, like, that's actually pretty good. And I even, like, this new Teenage Bounty Hunter series on Netflix, which is, like, it's not only about religion, but that's a big part of it, actually. It's your social circle. It's your support network. And I, I think that's so much more a part of religious life than is, like— you know, screaming at someone that Jesus wants you to suck my dick. Like, I don't, you know, that's like, that's like a, you know, pulp novel version uh, of I it, mean, being it's, religious.
1: It's true. That stuff does happen, especially in like more backwoodsy er- eras and stuff. Uh, like, I mean, you could, people still bring snakes to church. and.
0: I mean, that's uh, true. Yeah, stuff. that's true.
1: Uh, and you know, the people who, what you were saying are more like day to day about it. Uh, I would say another great movie is First Reformed, which, uh, oh yeah great Wise blood i think totally influenced uh yeah, um, right uh but you know those people look at down on uh people who treat god differently from them uh i think the best movie about religion uh uh which i'm still uh, i watched rise blood just to, uh, the other day i'm still digesting that and i i think that might be up there but i'm still digesting that film uh but uh a movie i grew up with and love and help define what religion meant to me is Monty Python's life of Brian, which sure it is a comedy, but Holy shit. Do they, you could boil down religion into the one scene of uh, uh, Brian who doesn't want to be a prophet (laughs) is running away uh, and he loses his shoe. It's like the shoe. We must follow the shoe. No, the gourd that he gave us. It's the gourd. Uh, Like they're just arguing over like what aspects of this prophet should be yeah, believed. It's, uh, it's all like boils down to it's all the same God, but you know, people want to believe what they want to believe and uh, make themselves feel how they want to feel to get by in this crazy mixed up world. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to say. I, I was trying to say earlier, uh, but I didn't get it in. Uh, the actor who played uh, Roy Lafferty, which I would refer to again as the Spider Priest. I thought it was, I was like, oh, wow, this is such good acting. I I don't know who this actor is. He's a weird looking guy, too. Uh, His name is Harry Melling. And of course, I've seen him before. Uh, He was that fucking fat Harry Potter cousin in the beginning of those movies.
0: Oh, my God, he was. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing about this fucking movie is like everyone in it is like English or Australian or something. And they're all just doing this weird like southern drag where they're like doing their idea of what a Southern accent is and screaming about Jesus. I mean, that was another part of it that put me off. I understand their actors and blah, 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 blah. But I was like, you know, what is what exactly is appealing to this 25 year old millionaire from like Devon about like pretending to be an Appalachian preacher (laughs) from 1950. It was just like, it just felt the whole thing felt so phony to me. And I really disliked it. Uh,
1: I think people wanted to work with uh, Campos a little bit, like he's a great producer, so you know he's going to get you into some other films. But also, uh, I mean, Christine is such a fucking underrated movie. And After School launched uh, Ezra Miller's career. Uh, even you could say Simon Killer helped Brady Corbett on the uh, the trajectory that he's gone on to be a, a violent director in his own right. So I feel like uh, he's a well respected enough thing. Oh, and also the the Sinner, uh, a great uh, TV show uh, yeah. of recent times that uh, he got some really disturbing violence on uh, cable TV. Good for him. Uh, Good for him. He does so much violence. I'll just say this about him. That is why I always want to watch his movies. <laughs> um, he does so much violence that uh, when it's surprise, like he outdoes himself. So it's like he throws a gauntlet and like, he can make it still surprising, which is all I want from a
0: director. Um. So should we move on to talking about the next film? Yeah. Wise blood. I understand it ain't anybody perfect on this green earth, not preachers. Look here, I know preacher. And you can tell folks better how terrible sin is if you know from your own experience.
1: <laughs> In a world of sin and seduction, there's a lot of ways of getting saved.
0: times. My name is Oni J. Holy. Some do it with style. And I am a preacher. I don't, I don't mind you doing that. I'm
1: going to the city. Some have other plans. I'm going to do some things I ain't never done before. I started my own church. Church of Truth Without Christ. Based on the 1952 novel by Flannery O'Connor and adapted by her family friend's sons, Benedict and Michael Fitzgerald, Wise Blood is the 33rd feature film of the great John Huston. The... The movie itself follows Hazel Notes, fresh out of an unnamed war, as he moves to the big city and starts his own religion, the Church of Truth Without Christ, which is against any belief in God, evil, or afterlife. Hayes encounters several oddball characters throughout his odyssey, including a more run-of-the-mill street preacher, a promoter who wants to manage Hazel's career as a prophet, several other weirdos along this way. What's close to being a comedy is instead something far too weird to be described as anything. At times both strange and recognizable, the film ultimately finds its place under the vengeful watch of God. Chris, let's go, let's go, let's go.
0: Yeah, so I haven't read the book, Wise Blood. Have Have you read this book? No, so?
1: uh, I haven't read any Flannery O'Connor. I've always been uh, was recommended to her as she's a religious person who's very funny. Uh, And I can see that in this film that she has a sense of humor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we were you were saying this a little bit in your intro, but I mean, like, is this movie a comedy? I know it's crazy. (laughs)
1: Like, you look for signs of it, and like some of the plot points, like, oh, that does sound like a comedy. Like, uh, they're trying to look for a new prophet, and this one kid is obsessed with a mummy, and just breaks into a museum. Uh, and and you look for like other things in the filmmaking of it, like the music plays like Looney Tunes circus music sometimes.
0: And oh my it's god, so it, I was actually going to say plays. this. It it's is, like a it's dash so of cold I hate water. It. Yeah, it, w- it was one of my least favorite things about the movie. They're playing. <laughs> it is like Looney Tunes silly music when something <laughs> quote unquote funny is supposed to be happening, and it is specifically like the the like Warner Brothers or Hanna Barbera cartoons from this period of the seventies, where like for some reason they had all these like. 30s these like cartoons that took place in the 30s and it would be like you know sort of a a fake bonnie and clyde or something and then there'd be a big car chase and it would be this kind of like banjo music and that is exactly what they use yeah 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 very loudly over and over again
1: (laughs) if anything i interpreted it as if i tried to think about why they're doing this as uh it underscores a disconnect a disconnect between a man and his own actions but also it's like Holy shit. It just like kept standing me straight up. Um, but to uh, put this movie in as simplest terms as I can, uh, uh, Hazel is wanting to get away, hide from God, but ends up running head first into it, is what I feel like this is the straight one sentence of this movie. Uh, like yeah, no, like I mean, he, that is like, good.
0: That is good. Yeah.
1: Uh, like he's trying to, like. <laughs> he starts his own religious which i think is that's itself is kind of funny uh, uh the church of truth without christ and it starts off with him saying like you shouldn't have to believe in jesus he's just a good person which is like i could get behind that but also like he's so uh adamant and angry about it uh that yes he becomes like any other preacher uh which they do a great job paralleling that with bringing in other preachers <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all fucking nuts, this movie, basically. It's a nuts movie. I love, I kind of love it. Yeah, having not read the book, I mean, I did do some research on the book. I mean, apparently it's based on a series of short stories that Flannery O'Connor wrote, and then she just kind of combined into this book, you know, that's kind of, it's just kind of like adventures in this parody version of the South, where it's like, yeah, people trying to get away from religion people trying to like you know make it a, a, a way for themselves and it's these kind of like broad caricatures of the kinds of people you might meet at this time in the south and like a pastiche mm-hmm. of the like mores and kind of like southern pop culture of the like 1940s and 50s um you know and i'm sure like <clears throat> If I were a, a person my age living in, you know, rural Alabama in 1949, I'm sure I would have loved this, loved it to death. But like watching it in 2020, I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, okay, I guess. I don't know. It didn't it didn't really reach me in a certain <laughs> way. And I know it's a classic work of literature and, and maybe it's much better as a book than, than as the movie uh, I don't know, I mean, I do like, you know, I love Faulkner, you know, I I can really get into that because I think that that gets it like, I was thinking about this during the movie, like Faulkner is getting at something interior about the life of being a Southern person, whereas I feel this was, again, it was more exterior. It was more like, you know, this is the pop culture we're all living in in 1947. And I was like, well, okay, but I'm I'm not living in that pop culture anymore, so like this isn't really doing anything for me. <laughs>
1: Uh, pop culture in what sense of
0: uh well not po- i mean pop culture is like a maybe not the right term but it's like um it's obsession with religion and it is about religion as religion and it is a book that's dealing with like what is religion and what does it mean in people's lives but it's also like you know jokes about like having a weird old car and jokes about like oh you know the preachers who stand out in front of city hall and do this kind of stuff it was like it seemed very like time bound in a certain way like like if you were alive in the south in this time period you would have immediately recognized every character in this and you would have been like oh yeah these are like the kinds of people that are around and these are funny jokes about those kinds of people it's like when i was you know, 27 and watching girls for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, these are the people in Brooklyn. And oh, they went to a party in Bushwick. Like, oh, LOL. Like, that's funny. But it was, it seemed like that was the level of recognition you would have if you were around then. And, but, but, but watching it at a remove of 80 years, I was just kind of like, I just didn't feel like it was doing anything for me as a I didn't feel like it was I was getting any insight into humanity or into these character's journey it felt like I was just watching like a I don't know it felt it felt very preordained like it was you know I don't know it was like watching the odyssey or like a parody of the bible or something where it's like things are happening in a certain order because it's referring to another thing that already exists rather than because it made sense for the story that we were actually in you know uh I think
1: it was More that, I don't know, I did read a little bit of the book just because I was curious because I kept hearing that like, oh, she's unadaptable and she's more language. Uh, And I'll I'll read a a couple sentences that just shows how hard she is to adapt. And this is just like a character's mind, I guess, uh, Hazel's mind. I'll quote, uh, he saw Jesus moving from tree to tree in the back of his mind, a wild, ragged figure motioning him to turn around and come off into the dark where he was not sure of his footing. Where he might be walking on the water and not know it and then suddenly know it and drown. Like, that's great writing. Yeah, that's that's uh, way better than the movie. Yeah. Uh, but, take, but the movie is like, way, way better than the movie. But, yeah. So it's John Houston, uh, who has an incredible streak of adapting things. He motherfucker adapted the Bible.
0: Uh yeah, well, what you have to say about John Huston? John Huston, like he made his debut in 1941, the same year as Orson Welles with The Maltese Falcon, right? I mean, so like
1: Red Badge of Courage, uh, Casino Royale. Uh, he did Moby. He did a Moby Dick version, which I actually haven't seen. Uh, which now I kind of want to. Uh, he has an amazing history of adaptation. So reading about him and how he did this, uh, he went for it as a comedy for most of it, uh, but then the screenwriters, uh, the Fitzgerald brothers, uh, Benedict. Mostly Benedict, who is a producer, uh, and Michael, and also uh, Brad Dourif, who is the star who plays Hazel. uh, They had to help him realize that the ending is more about uh, redemption, salvation, other than just uh, mocking uh, these uh, this this time period. Uh, Which when it gets to the ending, it's just holy shit. And uh, I mentioned earlier that the Ethan Hawke film that we both enjoy, First Reformed, kind of felt inspired from it. Like I feel like there is stuff taken straight up from this movie that is in because right, he porn. walks around with
0: barbed wire wrapped yeah. around <laughs> it right which is directly from Wise Blood, I guess yeah right um yeah you know and I do think it's important to talk about John Huston and it's important to talk about the time period this was made right because John Huston is like this classic director from the 1940s yeah, 50s and 60s 33rd movie. He extremely he's Angelica Huston's dad he's the only person ever to direct both his parent and child to Academy Award-winning performances. Like, he's very much an old an old Hollywood kind of person, right? But he also, he's exactly the kind of Hollywood person who completely lost his fucking mind in the 1970s. And, like, this movie just reeks of this, like, the the kind of 70s cinema stuff I hate, which Ooh. is, like, rejecting all conventions, rejecting all, um, like, you know, anything that makes a movie, like, easy to watch or like enjoyable, intelligible to the viewer it's like well it's all nonsense like we're experimenting see but really it's just like was he just like drunk the whole time (laughs) do you know what i mean like um
1: so that's the kind of stuff i love uh like just throwing out that's how you go forward. Is like building up again uh and and why it's so regarded it's on criterion and it has uh a it's a foundational movie it's because it's a helped establish what independent film was going forward. It was 1979. It did premiere at Cannes because it was it's John Huston. Uh, but the story was that he didn't really care to make this movie, but he said if they, if they raise the money for it, uh, he'll do it. Uh, and he took a minimum paycheck. They raised the money for it. And uh, he really just, uh, you know, brings it. And I feel like because of him, they did get an amazing cast who uh, also took minimum paychecks and again, again got to, as you said, Throughout convention, I think that's a a fucking wonderful thing. You got to do things that aren't being done in the studio and get to try to act, which is, you know, part of why I loved the movie Devil All the Time. And also uh, this movie, which uh, I wish Brad Dourif started more things. I fucking love Brad Dourif. Brad
0: Brad Dourif is great.
1: face and bulging eyes, uh, walking fast everywhere he goes. Um,
0: (laughs) I mean to talk about Brad Dourif. He's the star of the movie. He's absolutely fantastic. Like he's been in a couple of other things, but not like that many things. Big part of Deadwood. I'm sorry. Say it again. It's a
1: big part in Deadwood.
0: Oh yeah, true. And maybe his most lucrative thing is that he's the voice of Chucky. That is like yeah. like all through the 1980s, he was the voice of Chucky. Um, he was in Ex- The Exorcist 3, which I recently watched for another Cuckoo's thing. Cuckoo's
1: Nest he's into. too. Uh, yeah.
0: And he actually has a, a two-episode thing on Star Trek Voyager where he's very good in it.
1: I watched an interview with uh, Brad Dourif. It's on the Criterion Channel 2 where he talks about the film. And uh, the role was originally offered to Tommy Lee Jones. This is 1979. Uh, so Tommy Jones would have been younger and I don't know. I feel like, and and, and also he said the one note he got from John Houston was uh, that Hazel, the character he plays is a one note character. <laughs> like he's all about uh, his relationship with God and running from or towards it or not knowing how it's there. And I feel like Jones might've portrayed that more in the sense that Tommy Jones is very good at those stiff characters, but it would have been the same movie. It would have been a very different movie. It would have been, "Quote unquote funny" as it is, (laughs) because Brad Dourif just like had this weird physicality. Like his face is so beady. He has like a crazy
0: energy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So good. Um, Yeah, I mean, and you, but see, that's the problem with the movie. The director is telling the lead actor your character only has one dimension. I mean, that is the movie. That is that is the movie, and that is my problem with the movie. Is you can it's, I completely believe that, hearing it. like, And that that's, that doesn't make for a good movie. I mean, you know? there's a lot
1: going around him that we didn't even get to get to all the other side characters. Uh, the great uh, Harry Dean Stanton gets to a blind Sand, preacher who's not yeah. really blind and has a whore daughter that he bosses around, <laughs> and it's really weird. Uh, Ned Beatty pops up here. Ned Beatty.
0: Beatty's really good in the movie. Maybe yeah, an really
1: MVP like. in film gothic, southern gothic uh, film.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, I don't know. It's like, and also the other thing we should say is the dialogue is very. I mean, they must be directly from the book, right? But it, but because it's probably, not surrounded right. by the great prose that you read earlier, it just comes off very weird. It's almost like Shakespearean. Like every single line is like extremely overwritten. But they're trying to act in a kind of naturalistic way. It. And they just end up kind of shouting like very long sentences at each other. Well, the characters is, like, are very Every angry. single scene. Yeah.
1: There are very angry characters. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's for me, it works in the sense that uh, it has to be uh, as you're interpreting this great writer, like you want to not make it just a fucking boring movie. Uh, they made it yeah. a weird uh, try to live it up to the aesthetic of her prose and uh, make, yeah, make something not as usual as we're used to seeing. And I'm, I'm, i this is 1979 and I, 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 we're both kind of saying in different ways that there's nothing else like this
0: movie. That is true. <laughs> that is true. A hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Uh, and that I, is true. I don't know. As a person who uh, always likes being uh, confused as a, a state I am <laughs> usually in, uh, I like, I liked it. <laughs>
0: All right, Caleb. So, like, let's say you had to pick one of these two movies or you would be brutally murdered and your children would be brutally murdered and, like, accidentally they would cause the brutal murder of someone else.
1: <laughs> uh pa pa I did... I'm going Wise Blood. Uh, Like, I think it's a good sign for me in general when uh, a movie doesn't land for me yeah. right away and I just have to keep thinking about it. Like I'm going to think about this movie for like another two weeks or so. Uh, and that's great. I might even like also good art inspires you to look out good art. So I might check out some yeah. Flannery O'Connor and also some old John Houston movies as well. Uh, but yeah, I felt, uh, you know, alive after watching this movie. Whereas, I mean, I've really liked uh, Devil all the time, uh, but uh, I, I said it earlier that I prefer his other movies which are, Shorter and uh, to the point, uh, if I had uh, actually best choice, Antonio Campos, I would do Christine, uh, which I think uh, since it is a Netflix movie, I'll mention that they, Netflix always does this where they uh, strike a deal with a director and just add a bunch of the director's movies. So a bunch of Campos' movies, uh, I would say check out on uh,
0: Netflix right now.
1: Oh that's yeah, cool. wise... I did not know that. Yeah, they did that. They did that for like uh, even when they did uh, Irishman, they added a bunch of Scorsese movies, which is oh, cool.
0: Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough call for me because, to be perfectly honest with you, I really hated both of these movies. <laughs> I didn't enjoy watching either of them. Like, I, honestly, like these might be my two least favorite movies we have done on the entire show. <laughs> like, it's very tough for me to make a call on this one, but um, I guess I would say Wise Blood as well, just because I feel like it's. As much as it's like a garish and confusing piece of uh, forgotten culture, I feel like it, it does have some kind of artistic integrity and it has something it's trying to do, which is a little different than Devil All the Time, which I felt was just kind of like a big wank. So, like, yeah, there is a
1: more artistic integrity to it, even in the credits where John Huston misspells his name. Yeah, on okay, purpose. Don't
0: get me started on that. Don't get me started. Uh, on there, that.
1: There's actually a story behind it. Uh, it goes to that thing where I said that uh, he thought he was making a comedy. So he just mis- like, he wanted to make sure that people knew that he disowned it in a little bit of a way, even though he does like his own movie.
0: <laughs> but this is the thing is like, he was the director. So if he thought he was making a comedy, he made a comedy. Do you know what I mean? Like the movie has very strong, like you said, it has very strong Looney Tunes energy. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's just weird it's just it's it's exactly it's it's just like a very weird low budget 1970s movie like if that's the kind of thing you're into like saddle up brother because this is like gonna take you for a real ride um yeah i don't know i guess that's the show for this week everybody like what a crazy week man Crazy week, crazy week
1: crazy times i hope everyone's doing fine in oh the my god world. i hope
0: everyone's doing okay it's like the end of the fucking world out there i hope you're looking out for yourself and your friends and mm-hmm. your family and you're helping out those less fortunate than you and you're standing up for justice for real it's fucking wild yeah yeah but uh and also watching fun movies <laughs> <Right. And laughs>
1: listening to a podcast that you probably heard my dog bark in the background
0: yeah that's it Ed. good night everybody i love
1: y'all A strange young preacher out to start his own church in Wise Blood, a strange new film directed by John Huston. Wise Blood is one of four new movies we'll be reviewing on sneak previews. Two film critics talking about the movies. This is Roger Ebert, film critic of the Chicago
0: Sun-Times. And across the aisle from me is Gene Siskel, film critic of the Chicago Tribune. It's hard to say exactly what kind of world John Huston was trying to create in Wise Blood. It's not a realistic world, that's for sure. Everybody's a character, everybody's eccentric, and half the characters are half mad and the other half are insanely inspired. They seem to belong somewhere in that fantasy stereotype of the South that's been collectively created by William Faulkner, Tennessee Williams, Flannery O'Connor, and Mayberry RFD. <laughs> but by the movie's end, we've somehow never really gotten personally involved with these characters. Wise Blood creates a universe that exists on its own terms, and sometimes it is sort of fascinating. I've got to admit that, but it just doesn't quite connect with any world we can identify with. I, I want to pick
1: on that thing about the South. When I see a picture like this... It's almost as if these directors in Hollywood and in California think they're making something significant by going down to the South and shooting a picture there and simply showing those quaint folks who live down South. Uh, You know, show the old stores, show the old cars, and show the old-fashioned people. That's what the real messages of these pictures are, and and it's really rather patronizing. It's kind of
0: borrowed authenticity. If they don't really believe in their characters, they feel they give them an accent, let them kick enough dust around and so forth, they'll seem so real to us, so nitty-gritty, that we don't really ask what are these people doing? What are they saying and what do they mean?